Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because I'm catching the excitement with my man Rob DiCristino as we talk about Hudson Hawk. Hey Rob. Patrick, I got my thermos full of spaghetti. I am ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready he's to just, talk about the hall. He's just that Italian. This is a movie I just want you to know. I saw twice in theaters in 1991. Uh, I convinced a friend and his dad to drive us to the movies to see Hudson Hawk when I was but a child. And then a few months later, it came to the second run theaters, and I convinced my dad to go see it as a double feature with Toy Soldiers. So I am that well a- versed in the hawk. That is a good night. Yeah, this is a film that I saw once before. Um, I believe I, – I was, I was thinking about this today. I believe I saw this. I probably rented it after – the fifth element is what, 97? Uh, yes. So I was probably on a little bit of a Bruce Willis – because I'd always loved Die Hard, but I, I probably didn't have as much of a Bruce Willis sense of things, and I think that there was a – for me, anyway, I love The Fifth Element, still love The Fifth Element, um, and I probably went and tried to fill some blind spots, and I don't honestly don't remember. I was talking to my friend about uh, who I watched this with. I was like, do you remember what we thought about that movie? He's like, I think we just remember it was funny. Like, I think that was probably it. But boy, oh boy, uh, I, I, I'm catching the excitement. I'm all about the Hulk. <laughs> this movie is like mainlining some Bruce Willis. This is it, a it, master's class in Bruno. It is... Uh, what was his what was his album called the return of bruno the return of i was about to say i was like this is like the return of bruno he went away for a little while but he came back don't call it a comeback no he returned um anyway we're gonna be talking about hudson hawk in just a little bit but first rob i will ask you have you seen anything good lately uh well yeah i think so uh i've like everyone been cramming for (laughs) for for oscar season for award season uh we actually just the Philly Film Critics voted uh, yesterday, uh, and I won't reveal the results, but they were I thought they were pretty good, and um, and uh, I caught up with a lot of stuff based on you, Adam, and JB talking about your favorites of the year. Just a couple things that I either hadn't seen or maybe hadn't given enough, uh, had kind of given short shrift. So uh, a couple of those. Um, uh, Class Action Park, first of all, which you and Adam have been telling me for months to, to watch. Uh, as a Philly boy, I spent a lot of time in Jersey. Uh, I have family in Jersey, and I was real proud of New Jersey at the end of watching Class Action Park. I really was. Um, that, <laughs> that, that movie is because it's because it's very like when you watch it, you can watch it and be horrified and be like, I can't believe this is going on. For me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's New Jersey. That's just the, that's, <laughs> that's, that's New Jersey. Um, I think that the. I wish the documentary had been a little bit more critical of the founder because he is responsible for negligent homicides. Yes. Uh, but, you know, there, it, it was a little reverent, uh, I think, because of the fact that most of the talking heads were kids who had gone there. You know what I mean? And there was a little bit of nostalgia to it. But overall, I just I thought it was I, I loved it. I love that. Just it was, as I said before, as a, as a guy from Philadelphia who spent a lot of time in Jersey Shore, you know, over the years, I was kind of like, yeah, that that feels about right for Jersey. I feel like if you weren't um, horrified by the end, you were watching a different movie. Yeah. Oh, no, it was horrifying. But again, New Jersey. <laughs> Home place of Bruno. Home place of the hawk. Oh, my God. The hawk swings through with excitement. Do you think that, <laughs> do you think the hawk could handle the water slide? 
that he he got to the top of that that killer water slide and was kind of like, you know what, I'm gonna handle this. He knows where's Danny Aiello. He knows how long it takes to get down every slide based on song right. lengths. There's a there's a pop song that he knows. Oh God, you have to talk about how to talk. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I'll run quick here. I also watched uh, Sound of Metal. Uh, Sound of Metal rules. Um, I did not get to see that. These are all films, by the way, that I had not gotten to see when I made my list. Uh, I always kind of have that post, you know, and you probably do too, where you have that thing where you know, you make your list of what you've seen and then you submit your list. And I was like, Oh, I have to check out this, 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 and this. And you're, I don't know if sound of metal. Sorry. Good. You're a better man than I, because I feel like once I make my list, I run away from 2020 movies. I'm just like, I need I, a break. I am going to watch trash now for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been trash central over here. Definitely. <laughs> but I also like, there was a day, you know, sometimes there's a day where you're like, all right, three screeners today or i'm gonna watch like i'm gonna really dig in today and i like you need that thing of um kevin smith has a, this actually reminds me of the conversation you and i were having the other day about writing um which is that kevin smith has this whole thing he talks about how sometimes he's he's produced and thought about everything he can and then he needs to just stop producing and creating and thinking and just ingest so like there are some times where like I'll be like, you know what, this weekend I'm gonna watch like five movies because I need a new like perspective or I need to see something, I need to feel something different and kind of explore. And sometimes I'm not about exploring. Sometimes I just wanna sit and watch Star Trek The Next Generation and just everybody leave me alone. But um so lately, I think after your best of the year show, because there were so many things on all of your lists that I hadn't yet seen, I was feeling a little bit inspired to just dig through it. Um, so, uh, class action park was one sound of metals. Another one sound of metals, a movie I liked a lot. Um, as a drummer, it was basically a horror movie. Um, Riz Ahmed is really excellent. I love the supporting performance, uh, from the deaf actor whose name, of course, I can't remember. Paul Racy. Paul Racy. Uh, he was wonderful. Um, that movie was, um, I really appreciated the performances in that. I think that uh, plot wise, you know, you can, you can sort of trace the arc of the story and kind of where it's going to go. But um, I still think that movie had a nice edge to it, uh, befitting its title, honestly, and its subject matter. Um, Erica was texting with a friend last night and they were going back and forth. The friend was looking for movie recommendations, didn't want anything too heavy or depressing. And so Erica was giving her like, I used to go here. Yeah. Uh, or shithouse and instead she landed on sound of metal and i was like well that's super heavy and depressing <laughs> so good job shithouse by the way also uh and again uh pulling back the curtain here patrick and i were talking the other night yeah that's right we talk we're yeah. friends yeah um about how uh spontaneous does not have a blu-ray release right. and shithouse does not have a physical release of any kind as of yet very, 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 very depressing. Uh, anyway, it's frustrating when you can only buy these things digitally. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, the sound of metal is incredibly heavy. But but also, you, there is a wonderful. Um, I love the way Riz Ahmed played his frustration, you know, um, and the sort of sense of denial that you feel when you're faced with something that your your skill set. If you if you don't know Sound of Metal, it's about a drummer who's reali- who's going deaf. Um, he realizes, and he's a touring musician. He and his girlfriend or his fiance are a, a touring act. He has to drum to for his life, um, and uh, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. It, it 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 always steered just left of Oscar Beatty. It never got sort of yeah kind of perfunctory or histrionic or anything like that. I really right. really enjoyed it. 
um, recommendations that you made to me, uh, 12 hour shift, uh, I checked out, uh, really enjoyed. Um, the, the thing I wrote down for 12 hour shift was I sometimes have a problem with some of the modern indie horror and you've spoken to this, some of the modern indie horror, it, it, I, I really like a lot of it, but some of it is just like, Hey, do you know about John Carpenter movies? What if I, what if I made a John Carpenter movie right, and right. You, you sort of were like, isn't that so cool about how it reminds you of a John Carpenter movie? Um, and I can only get next to so much of that. 12 hour shift to me was grimy in an honest way that mm-hmm. I really appreciated. I really appreciated that that movie was not full of shit. It was not performative. It was not like, Oh, I'm going to show off how well versed in the horror genre I am. Um, and of course using Angela Bettis, you know, um, who we know as May, you know, and, and, and really cool David Arquette performance as well. Um, I, I really, I like that that movie, that movie felt, speaking of New Jersey, uh, and I say this with love, that movie felt grimy and, and, uh, and, and punk rock in a way that a lot of horror movies try to feel, um, and don't end up feeling honestly. I really enjoyed that one. No, that's awesome. No, that's... I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. And then uh, I'll do one more. I have a whole bunch, but I'll do one more. Um, oh, I mean, here's what I ask you. you. So you beat the drum for St. Francis quite a bit. I did. Uh, in fact, I believe you have the pull quote on one of the posters, correct? I think so. Somebody like texted me a picture once. I am fairly sure that when I was at the music box, I took a picture of a poster for St. Francis that had a Patrick Bromley of F this movie attributed quote. Um, and I completely enjoyed it. Um, I'm actually really curious about why you, because I'll put it this way. This feels like a Rob movie and not necessarily a Patrick movie. Um, <laughs> okay. And I'm curious as to what in particular made it stand out. Cause this is a movie that you saw what last year, right? Yeah. 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 And that you, you, you sort of continued to beat the drum for. And, and I mean, you explained it well when you, when you had it on your list and stuff and, or you talked about it on the podcast, but I'm curious about what, what is it that really sticks with you? Cause I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was, I thought it was really fun and, and um, you know, very insightful and things like that. But I was curious about if there was a particular thing about it now that I've seen the movie and I can understand the context was there a particular thing about it that really struck you that makes it that memorable? I think with the exception of the conceit of the adorable kid who opens up your heart, which the movie is certainly guilty of embracing. Yeah. um, I thought with the exception of that, it managed to dodge almost every other indie movie cliche just barely, you know, it it kind of brushes up against it and then says, no, I'm actually going to do this instead. Um, and I, there was a scene where, and I think Adam talked about this on our best of podcast. There's a scene where one of the characters is breastfeeding in a park and a woman comes up to them and says, you know, Hey, could you not do that? My kids are around. It's offensive. And I think most indie movies would turn it into a crowd pleasing moment where the main character then like gives a big speech and tells her off and shames her and she walks away hanging her head. But instead it becomes a scene about like, well, what if we all just tried to actually have a conversation with each other? And what if we use this as a teaching moment for this little girl? And what if this little girl actually has some insight into the situation? Um, And it's sort of about the power of communication. And I just so appreciated that it avoided a lot of those cliches. You know, abortion is a subplot in the film 
but it's not a movie about abortion. And that was something that was very important to the writer and star. She said that during the Q&A. Uh, after I saw the movie at a festival, she said, I wanted that to be a, a, a thing where a character has an abortion, but that's not what the movie is about. And I thought it was very... I thought it was maybe the most humanistic movie I saw in 2019 <laughs> and then again in 2020 when it actually came out. Um, I just thought it had more humanity than any other movie that I saw. No, totally, and I absolutely agree. And as far as the abortion stuff and even this, the, you know, the fact that it's two moms, you know, and is sort of brought up, but not, but you know, which is how it should be. It's just be normalized in that way. And, um, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's very, it is very human. And I, I honestly, that's a lot of what spoke to me with, um, and I think I wrote about this with um, never sometimes, oh, God damn it. Never, never rarely, sometimes, always. Rarely, sometimes, always. Um, was also very similar, not just because it's also about a woman getting an abortion, but because it's so much more about everything else in her life surrounding yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Not, oh, should she get an abortion or not? You know what I mean? That's not, that's never, a, I mean, it's a question for her, but it's so much more about what her pregnancy and the subsequent abortion say about her life and her emotional state and her trauma and all those things. And so, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I think that's um, incredibly uh, insightful and humanistic uh, in that way. But, you know, I really I enjoyed St. Francis quite a bit. I just I remember when I was watching, I was thinking like, oh, it's really good. But this is so much more. I don't know. I just for some reason felt like I was wondering in particular what you what you latched onto it. I'm curious um, now as to what you think a Patrick movie is. Uh, well, I don't know. It's not. Yeah. See, I knew you were going to say that. It's not to say that. <laughs> no, it's not a I'm not it's, trying to. It's not, it's not a challenge. That, no, no, no. It's OK. It's not to say that I didn't think you have that. I know, you know, you and I are simpatico when it comes to a lot of things. And it's like. I, for some reason, it stood out to me in a way that I thought maybe for you would be a little bit more like, well, this is kind of things I've seen before. So I was happy to hear that you found uh, uh, something unique about it. You know, that's really all it was. Got it. Uh, uh, last thing, I'll just real quick, last thing I'll say is just uh, Bad Education, um, which I read, uh, watched on JB, I think's recommendation. Yeah. Um, really fun. Uh, I say fun, even though it's about teachers who embezzle um I, I just very very quickly will say that the final monologue that hugh jackman gives um as a teacher i felt that and i'm sure you do as well so i will i will leave it there for anyone who has seen bad education um i can't condone anything that the characters do but uh hugh jackman has a speech about education at the end of the film that i felt <laughs> very much i don't remember the speech i feel bad where he gives the speech to the kid about like and I don't want to go too much into it because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but he talks about how a teacher can inspire and how sometimes we, we, we wish that we remember people remembered that inspiration a little bit more. Um, again, I don't want to go too much into it. We can talk about it off mic or whatever, but I, uh, cause I do think it, there's an element to which it spoils the, the film, but okay. yeah, he has a nice monologue at the end that I really, as a teacher enjoyed. All um, right. Yeah, but bad education is fun. I love Alice and Janney and anything, and I love Hugh Jackman because he's Hugh Jackman. He's a huge Ackman. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you go for it. Um, oh, wow. I've got a couple that I can talk about. I've been uh, deep, deep, deep in the canon films library, and I don't want to talk about too many canon movies, so I'll talk about some non-canon movies that I've been watching. Um I got a chance to check out, and maybe you saw this, I don't know, uh, the new 
I guess it's a new release. Fatal. I have not seen you it. You have not seen Fatal. A screener I, was going was... around, so I didn't know if you had a chance to watch no, it. No, I, I didn't get it. Or well, maybe I did. Go ahead. You probably you did. It was just funny because it was going around with all of the like prestige award <laughs> screeners. <laughs> yeah. And so one night I was just like, fuck it. I want to watch Fatal. I want to watch garbage, you know, like uh, under the guise of watching something important because it's a screener. So Fatal is Michael Ely and Hilary Swank. In sort of an updated erotic thriller, it's pure screen gems, but it's nice. Lionsgate putting it out. But it, it is in every way a screen gems movie. Um, it's written by David Lowry, who wrote The Intruder and Lakeview Terrace and Obsessed. And yes. I mean, Money Train, Passenger 57, like this guy comes by his shit, honestly. Um, it's not great. Hilary Swank gives a very committed performance and I am a big Hilary Swank fan. So I just like watching her in anything, but it was an interesting exercise in how far we've come in terms of how scared we are of sex, because this is ostensibly a nineties erotic thriller with all of the eroticism and sex removed. Uh, I was about to ask you if it's a fuck noir. I wish it was a fuck noir. I'm so down for Hilary Swank in a fuck noir. But it's like we kind of skip over the sex and we just get into this ridiculously labyrinth plot with many twists. I will give the movie that. It is not afraid to continue twisting and zagging when you expect it to zig. Uh, I was certainly entertained by it for 90 minutes, but it's by no means good. I so I'm looking at my email. I do indeed have a screener for oh, it. Oh, I, I know will, what you're watching tonight. And I will put out there that in the press materials it says, "quote a contemporary noir classic." Well, so, <laughs> they're dubbing it a classic <laughs> already. That is some balls. I mean, just calling it fatal is like kind it's, of embarrassing yeah. because Hillary Swank is not really playing a femme fatale in this movie, uh, and I won't get into what I mean by that because I think it would right. require spoiling things. I literally knew nothing about it when I pressed play. I assumed it was a traditional like double indemnity riff with Hilary Swank as the femme fatale and it's not really that. Um, but the title is somewhat misleading. Alright, well I'm I mean, obviously going to watch it because why the hell not? But that's a that's that's a shame. I, I, want, I want some I want to fuck Nora with some balls. Me too. That's a, that's, that's a I just said. <laughs> I'm also looking at my, I'm looking at my email now, and Wonder Woman 1984 is coming off of HBO Max now. Yeah, it's only on there for the, like a the, month. The day and date is limited, and then it what it comes off, and then we have to wait for. I mean, look, I'm, no offense to Wonder Woman 1984, I'm not going to miss it, but like, no, that's 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 stupid. I was so down for HBO Max. I've been telling everybody about how great HBO Max is. Damn it! All right. Yeah, I Whatever. assume that's going to be the model for all of the first-run movies the going forward. Stuff? Yeah. That sucks. Well, it's all right, because we got the little things coming, and I can't wait to not watch a movie with Remy Malek and Jared Leto. Oh, boy. I don't even know what that movie is. But it's Denzel. So it's same. So I'm just looking at the email now, and it's a same-day premiere, and it's advertising the next thing. It's called The Little Things. I heard a couple people talking about this yesterday, um, and our I was voting with the Philly Film Critics. Uh, Denzel Washington is the lead. Rami Malek and Jared Leto, I guess, give supporting performances. But I can't, I cannot over my my Jared Leto allergy is is just. <laughs> 
it, it may prevent me from, and I and I don't I don't mean any disrespect to Rami Malek. I know he's a good actor. I know Mr. Robot's a good show. I know that he's the next Bond villain, and I can't wait to see No Time to Die if that ever happens. But I will always resent him for winning an Oscar for lip syncing. It's not his fault, but just come on. It's Stop pretty it. embarrassing. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's hard little, to it's hard to watch him and not think of him as Freddie Mercury. Exactly, and and that's not his fault. Like it's not. But, it's a little bit his fault. Not no, his fault that he no. got an Oscar, but it's a little <laughs> bit his fault that he gave the performance that he gave in the movie that he gave it in. Yes, it's a, a atrocious film. Okay, anyway, uh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, speaking of Denzel, I'll jump to my next one, which is I rewatched Unstoppable. Ooh. because last week I was listening to the latest Screen Drafts podcast and they were drafting Tony Scott movies. And of course it made me want to go back and rewatch every Tony Scott movie. So I rewatched Unstoppable, which was uh, one I'd only seen one time, I think. And um, I know it has a devoted fan base. I know like Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of it. He did a whole podcast on the rewatchables about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think the first time I thought it was like, okay, I enjoyed it way more this time. It's still Tony Scott aesthetically isn't always my jam uh, because he is very busy with the camera. And that's not always my, like I love almost every Tony Scott movie, but Tony Scott's busy with his camera. Yeah, I I know (laughs) this is something shocking for me to say in 2021. Um, I love almost all of his movies, but aesthetically they're not always, what I'm into because just the camera is constantly circling around characters, just having a conversation and just shaking a little bit. And um, the, the thing in unstoppable that bugs me the most, and I really enjoyed the movie, like particularly Denzel Washington's performance, because he's really kind of a bastard in the movie, but he's like a bastard who knows what he's talking about, which allows him to be a bastard, which is enjoyable. It's, I mean, he's, he's a, he's Alonzo, without being a sociopath. I'm trying to remember the film because I watched, I believe I watched Unstoppable once with my stepdad uh, and it's always fun that to watch. It's a stepdad movie. <laughs> it's a stepdad movie. So yeah. yeah, go ahead. I remember enjoying it as well. So. Yeah. Um, in order to convey certain information, because really the, the two storylines don't sort of intersect until minute 50 and the movie's just over 90 minutes, but it's like there's Chris Pine and Denzel Washington sort of disagreeing on this, on their day on the job. And then there's the out of control train. And it's not until minute 50 or so that it's like, uh Oh, we're heading for the out of control train. And now we have to do something about it. Um, From minute 50 on, it's essentially one long, you know, sustained action set piece. And it's great. But in order to convey certain information, he's constantly cutting back to the media reporting on it. Right. So we get lots of talking heads of journalists, helicopter footage, like so-and-so is doing this now. Oh, I can see he's climbing the train trying to stop it. It's like we can see what Denzel Washington is trying to do because we're watching the movie. We don't need to have it explained to us like a play-by-play when you're watching a football game. So I wonder if that is a, I mean, one that could have been a studio note, right? Which is like, you need to make this chaos clearer. Two is, I, am I correct that this, it was based on a real event? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So maybe there was a little bit of his instinct was like, well, let me let me try to sort of sheath this in reality. But um, yeah, no, I'm tr- 
looking here and I'm, I'm trying to remember because I do I 100% remember enjoying the film. And also, I, I just let's just talk for a second. Kevin Corrigan, Kevin Dunn, Ethan Suplee, Rosario Dawson, Chris Pine, and Denzel Washington in a Tony Scott film? Yes. yes yeah, I am there. Yeah. No matter what, 100%, I am there. Even T.J. Miller, his presence does not dissuade me from... <laughs> because everything else outweighs the T.J. Miller of it all. You know what I mean? Well, and that was one of the points that they kept making on the Screen Drafts, drafts show was every Tony Scott movie has an insane bench of uh, actors. Like, it's so, and like really, I mean, and this is just, you know, this is real, like just the two Kevins, like Kevin Dunn and Kevin Corgan, I feel like are deep bench character actors who whenever you see them, you feel comfortable. Yeah. Like I, I, I think especially about Kevin Corgan, like I think of um, uh, a previous podcast, uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, the scene in which the best friend is talking to him and he's just sitting there uh, with the, with the turkey sandwich, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like it just. Or even just, you know, The Departed, obviously. Like, or, But there's just so many things where he's one of those, and, and I think Kevin Dunn as well, like, or he's one of those that guy actors where you're like, okay, I'm a good hands. Like, this is, I know that guy. I'm going to feel comfortable in this. And then you've also got the Rosario Dawson, Chris Pine, Denzel Washington of it all, right. which is just like overload. Um, I am going to rewatch Unstoppable. Let's see, where, where can I watch this? <laughs> it's probably not too hard to come by. Probably not. You have the... Is there a, there needs to be like a Tony Scott box set. Cause I, you know, I don't think I have enough Tony Scott in my collection. I'm the guy who defends Domino. So, um, no, I like Domino. I, I remember being really, really, I haven't watched it probably in 10 years, but I own Domino. I was Me adamant too. about how much I love Domino. I was like, this is Kira Knightley. Like, this is the way she's supposed to be. <laughs> I think this I did her, the same thing. This is, this is her doing a real role. Like, you don't get it, man. <laughs> My name is Domino Harvey. Like I just all I am about, about Deonta. Plus, there's a whole you know her aesthetic in that movie is way up my alley. So it was. <laughs> um, watch Domino. You know what? Have a nice little Tony Scott double feature. Watch Domino and uh, Unstoppable. Nice. Uh, and you'll have a good time. Unstoppable I... is indeed available for rental, but no streaming for free. Kind of. Yeah. Um, but I did see that Deja Vu is streaming on Tubi. And Deja Vu is like my favorite underrated Tony Scott movie. Deja Vu, I remember enjoying very much. You know what I saw? Okay, this is weird. I saw Deja Vu, and I know the years don't... I don't think the years match up. I think this was just a Netflix uh, uh, rabbit hole thing I did. I watched Deja Vu and Source Code on the same night. Interesting double feature. Yes, and I remember... Because I remember... Because Source Code is uh, Duncan Jones... And I remember post Moon, sort of deciding that Duncan Jones was going to be my guy. I was like, you know what? I fucking love Moon. I'm going to be, you know, this is going to be like he's like going to be the next guy that I watch and be able to tell people and blah 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 and all that. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't really understand Warcraft, but that's not his fault. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I remember watching those two movies on the same night and being like, fucking cinema, man, cinema. <laughs> I saw Deja Vu the best possible way because I don't think I knew that it was science fiction. Like, yeah. I, I don't think they marketed it as such. And so watching it and realizing what kind of a movie it is, because it's secretly one of my favorite movie genres, I was like, wait a second, this is so yeah. exciting. Yes, I thought it was sort of like a you know, Denzel kind of programmer, like, right. you know, but no, no, totally for sure. By the way, Unstoppable is $11 on Amazon on Blu-ray, adding to my cart. <laughs> nice. 
Anyway, go ahead. Um, what else did I see? Oh, speaking of, uh, you mentioned the best friend in Nick and Norris Infinite Playlist, played by yes. Ari Grainer. Erica and I are she is she's great and deserves better. Um, Erica and I have been rewatching The Sopranos, and she yes. she plays Meadows' roommate, which I didn't realize. She does. She plays the roommate who is, uh, 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 well, how do I say this delicately? She's experiencing some some mental trauma. Yes. Yes. Uh, I didn't realize that that was Ari Greener until this rewatch because I haven't watched the show since it first aired. Oh, okay. How are you enjoying it? I, I do. Oh my a, god, I it's do the a, best show ever. It's yeah. I, I do a Sopranos rewatch probably every two years oh, or wow. so. Okay. Well, and my mom actually last not this Christmas but the previous Christmas, my mom got me the Blu-ray box set. Um, because I was really assembling, I was like really out there to like, I got like Deadwood on Blu-ray. I got, you know, I, w- I was like, I'm going to cut the cord and screw these streaming services. And I'm just mm-hmm. going to get everything I ever want to watch ever again. And um, so, yeah, so I, the last rewatch I did was on, was with the Blu-rays. Um, no, the Sopranos, I'm, I'm a Mad Men guy. I, I think that, I think that the Sopranos crawled so Mad Men can run. Um, but I mean, Jesus, if you only ever watched one show for the rest of your life and it was the Sopranos, you would you would be totally fine. That yeah. show rules. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's way too good. And I'm amazed at how into it I still am and how much of it I still remember. Like, again, I haven't seen some of these episodes in 20 years, and yet I'm like, oh, this is the one with the blah, 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 and this is right. what happens. There's the ones you remember where it's like, oh, there's the one with the ducks and the one with right. the, col- you know, the college trip, and then there's this. Oh, and this there's is the that one with the, the, with the big mouth bass. Yes, the, there's, one, you know. there's the one with Robert Patrick, and there's the right. one with this and all that. Yeah, no, that show rules. You know what the best thing to do is? Is get real, real deep into The Sopranos, and then watch interview with, uh, um, oh my God, Tony. Uh, Jesus. Uh, watch which one? I'm sorry, James, you, you cut out. Gandolfini. So sorry. I'm so sorry. For a second, I forgot James Gandolfini's name. Oh. I said get really get really deep into The Sopranos and then watch an interview with James Gandolfini and realize Where he that sounds that nothing it, like that. He sounds nothing like uh, Tony I Soprano, know. and you're like, oh my god! It makes you appreciate his performance so much. I think Tony. I think James Gandolfini. I know this is not a hot take. James Gandolfini as Tony Soprano is, I think, the best single lead performance in television history. I will go out and say that. Um, due respect to everybody who's ever been on television. I know that's hyperbole, but boy, oh boy, is that just a great, great, great performance. All due respect to Matt LeBlanc. All due respect. <laughs> on Joey, res- not on Friends, on Joey. Right. All due respect to the kid who plays young Sheldon. <laughs> Um, speaking of Gandolfini, he's in a couple Tony Scott movies and he's in, yes, he is. he's in, uh, uh, taking a Pelham one, two, three, which is maybe the only Tony Scott movie I don't like, like I'm on record as not loving Top Gun. I get Top Gun. I need to rewatch Top Gun days of thunder, basically Top Gun again. So I don't love days of thunder, but I won't say that I dislike either movie. I think taking a Pelham is the only one I dislike. So I don't know that I've seen it uh, any re- recently enough to add have a take. Add it to but cart. Add it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's literally what I'm doing right now. But I, um, I also, I mean, the, the, that's one of those remakes where you're like, uh, you really have to have a take. I think, like, 
Yeah. The, to me, that's like Ocean's Eleven, where it's like, look, I, I, I actually really don't think the Rat Pack Ocean's Eleven is that good a movie. I think it's a very much like sort of masturbatory sort of, hey, look how cool we are. I can watch it. It's fine. I think Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven is a masterpiece. So like, I think that it's kind of a similar thing with Pelham, where it's like, even though I like the Travolta performance and like all those things, like, you really have to have a take on it. And I, from what I remember, again, I'm, I'm kind of speaking like it's probably been 10 years. I don't remember it being unique enough to feel like it justified itself. I could be way off on that. Um, I would need to see it again too, but it's the way that it differentiates itself from the original is by being yes. bad. Right. And I think that's where I'm at. Cause the original is just such a, just yeah. oh, God, that movie rules. Like, it's yeah. Just, yeah. And, it, and it rules in such a specific seventies grimy way where like, you again really have to have a take, and I just don't know that he did. No, not really. And Travolta is unfortunately making some big choices, but I don't think he is works. He, yeah, see, I remember him making big choices. Yeah. I don't remember too much about the performance. I just, I give honestly, I give, I give Travolta the benefit of the doubt, even when I shouldn't. So, <laughs> well, that's good. Denzel is good. It caused me a lot of. <laughs> Um, we're going long, so I'll only talk about one more, which is One Night in Miami, which I know you saw also. It is now yes. streaming on Amazon Prime. Everybody should watch it. It is Regina King's directorial debut. It chronicles the real-slash-fictional night where Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown got together and hung out in a motel room for a night and talked, basically. And that's, you know, it's based on a stage play, and you can definitely tell that it's based on a stage play, but... I wouldn't say the movie feels stagey. Um, the performances are all great. The writing is really good. It's a really, really excellent movie. I totally agree. I loved One Night in Miami, and I'm looking up two things real quick so I can give them correct attribution. There was a wonderful tweet recently about the movie. I'm going to credit it to Robert Daniels, uh, which is Chicago weird. Film my... critic. My my name is Robert Daniel D. Cresino, so that's weird, but okay. Uh, so it's yes, basically it's, your tweet. It's basically my tweet. Uh, at 812 Film Reviews, uh, one reason I continue to gravitate toward One Night in Miami is that it's allowed to be low stakes, a rarity for most black films. And I 100% agree with that. I love that it's just a conversation movie. I love that it's about... You know, it's about people. It reminded me the most of, and I can't remember if I if I brought this up. I, I bring this up to, to John sometimes, to JB, because I know I, I'm not a huge Beatles guy, but I know he is. Um, there is a, a VH1 movie from 2000 called Two of Us. Uh, it's Aiden Quinn and Jared Harris playing Lennon and McCartney. Um, and it's essentially a fictional story of what if one night, uh, McCartney just kind of showed up at the Dakota and he and John hung out. Um, and I remember, and, and again, I, I obviously love the Beatles. I appreciate who they are, but also am not a Beatles fan in the way that people are Beatles fans. But I loved, loved, loved that movie. I, used to, I watched it. I recorded it on VHS. And I watched it all the time. Um, and the, One Night in Miami reminded me a whole hell of a lot of Two of Us yeah. um, in that it's just one of those things where you get to just feel the space and you get to just feel these people as they embody these famous roles, but don't like, I really thought I was going to push up against the Denzel, uh, uh, excuse me, the Malcolm X performance. Um, because I'm like, how do you do Malcolm X? Like, how do you do it again after Denzel? 
Um, but uh, I really appreciated the way that, again, it allowed itself to not be super plotty. Uh, and uh, just to credit him, Kingsley Benadir uh, plays a wonderful role as Malcolm X. So uh, good. I really, really enjoyed the film a lot. And uh, again, just to go back to Robert Daniels' tweet, I uh, really like. I love when quote-unquote issue movies or quote-unquote special audience movies are allowed to be movies first. Right. Uh, right. And, and, engage, and engage with you on an emotional level where it's not like I'm watching this because it's homework. Right. Um, and Reg- Regina King, of course, we all love. Uh, I think it's incredibly well-directed. Um, I think a lot of first-time directors' uh, debuts tend to have, and this is not scientific this is just anecdotal i think i think debuts tend to have a lot of fat on them um debut films tend to be like well i'm a filmmaker who's wanted to make films since i was a kid and i want to show you everything i got whereas i think one night in miami is incredibly efficient um and really really has its emotional beats and its tone in the right place and i I just i totally agree i loved it very good everybody can stream it on amazon now and should um absolutely we got to get to the hawk. We do. It's a you know what? People have been we've waiting. Given, we've given him just enough time to, to <laughs> sort of go off. But now, you know what? He's ready to swing in and I don't know about you, I'm ready to catch the excitement. He's uh... I'm ready to catch the adventure. <laughs> catch the hawk. I'm ready to catch the hawk. <laughs> Grab a cappuccino cuz here we go. Uh, is this movie? Cappuccino was such a novelty apparently in 1991 that people didn't even know what it was. And like he's this like all American like oh what is this on the menu and then he loves cappuccinos like he's this, like so much of the movie is like look I'm old masculine and I don't know about all this uh, this yuppie nonsense and he's like no by the way also I love cappuccinos yeah like where are we at here but anyway good uh yeah what is this movie so Nathan Rabin uh, writing my year of flops about ten years ago or ten or fifteen years right. ago. Uh, yes, uh, wrote about Hudson Hawk and called it the the most Bruce Willis movie ever made. 100%. I agree with that, but I also think that that doesn't mean the same thing now to a younger audience. Like, to appreciate yes. that that as a concept, the most Bruce Willis movie ever made... You have to know who Bruce Willis was in the late 80s and early 90s because the Bruce Willis of today, you know, now he's the guy who refuses to wear a mask and he's just this grouchy asshole who shows up in your movie for a million dollars a day. Um, But to to appreciate like what that means, you have to understand like who he was on Moonlighting and who he was in like the Seagram's commercials and his album. You have to understand. I'm sorry. You have to understand the planet Hollywood of it all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> for, for Hudson Hawk to make sense in context. And this is him really taking his star power out for a test drive. Cause he does die hard in 88. He does die hard two in 1990. And then he's a giant movie star. And so Hudson Hawk is sort of his blank check movie. Yeah. And, and it is, is worth noting that he co-writes and also does the theme song for this right. movie. Well, he does. He has a co-story credit, right? Because it's right. Uh, D'Souza has a screenplay credit, and Daniel Waters, who is and, this movie's is a, secret weapon, which is another thing where you you're looking at the credits and you're just like, oh, these are 
all stars. <laughs> You're just yeah, like, right. Yeah. Well, and this is Michael Lehman's like big shot yes. at the big time because he makes Heather's with Daniel Waters. Yep. It's this cult hit, and somebody sort of taps him. I think Joel Silver possibly tapped him to go, you know, okay, now you're ready for the big time, kid. You're, we're going to give right. you this Bruce Willis movie. Um, and this it's like... Daniel Waters. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, in some ways, everybody's making a different movie. Yeah. And Dante, I don't know... Dante Spinelli it. Dante Spinelli. It's, an insa- <laughs> it's insane. The movie costs, like, $60 million or $65 million. And, like, the money is on the screen. This is an expensive looking movie where like people fall down and it makes a boing sound effect and you just don't usually spend 65 million dollars on a boing movie this is a movie that is excited to take you from set piece to set piece and sort of show you what it's got like you're like you can almost feel bruce willis be looking at the screen and going you're never going to believe what's coming next you're never going to believe it it's going to be great just go with it. Like as soon as Andy McDowell and uh, we're spoilers here, but as soon as Andy McDowell does her switch, her character switch, I just started giggling. Cause I was just like, this is so bonkers. This is so, I can't believe somebody asked her to do this and she did it. <laughs> Andy McDowell is arguably miscast. Oh, for sure. 100%. <laughs> but, I, but I also understand, like, what I mean by that is, I don't mean that it's a great performance, no, although I I, know. Andy McDowell's a great actress. What Andy McDowell is 100% of the moment. She is the person who you cast in Hudson Hawk in 1991, or 1990. Like, like she is, like, if you're looking at, like, okay, who's the big star? Who wants to stretch her legs? Who's willing, who's down to, you know, do this and that? And who's willing to share the screen with Frank Stallone? Although I don't think she actually has any scenes. <laughs> no, sadly. Missed but opportunity, like, that. But 100%. But like who you know, like who's gonna be the 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 you know the the frosting on top of this Richard E. Grant cake, you know, or whatever. Like <laughs> it's so weird that she's in it, but it makes sense to me that she's in it, and I I like that she was game for it. Like at the very like, no matter your your how you feel about the movie or her performance, I'm like, you know what? I like that she was willing to try this. She absolutely is game for it, and I will give yes. her credit for that because she's not an especially funny actor. She's not an especially silly actor, and this no. movie kind of requires her to be both. Although, again, when you get to the part where she's making the dolphin noises, it's like, hey, Andy McDowell, you're going for it. I give you credit yeah, for that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's the thing I think I like about it, because she's got to go she's got to go up against a uh, Sandra Bernhardt, who is <laughs> over the, I mean. Don't hate me, baby she is and it's funny because i watch it like you don't see somebody on screen for a while i think i with with i, I talked about this with training day with eva mendez where i saw her eva mendez appear on screen i'm like oh that's right you were such a big part of my life for so long sandra bernhard walked on screen and i had the same feeling where i was like that's right you were very much a big part of me growing up and like just seeing you and all these different things and you were just this presence and she is bonkers like <laughs> she is playing uh i was i kept thinking of superman uh what the hell is uh, lex luther's uh girl's name uh jesus miss tessmacher it was tessmacher and uh parker posey plays her in the reboot right or in right, the right. returns um, she's got like a Miss Tessmacher energy to her and she's just she and Grant are like Richard E. Grant is like on another planet in this movie and I just I don't know I, 
everybody is everybody is coming to play. Like Danny Aiello is like the he's the he's the Jim Belushi role. Like he's like, he's like <laughs> he totally is. He's like the the the, the wisecracking sidekick, like <laughs> humping around this movie, and you're just like, yeah, fucking hell, yes, go, Danny, go scale that building with Hudson Hawk, catch the hawk, rob that auction house, and you're just like, on what planet is Sal doing this? And it's like, <laughs> this is a sneaky do the right thing sequel. I don't know if yes, you know 100%. that. Yeah, this is what he's up to now. He sold the pizza place. Pizza place burned down. Yeah. With his hands, with these hands, every night That's every night he he has these dreams, or he wakes he wakes Hawk up, and he's like, "Don't you get it? Like I, those those kids were raised on my food. I'm proud of that." Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard like come into an already silly movie, and just hijack it completely, like in a good way. I'm not even accusing them because I no. I've used that expression before as a pejorative, like talking about Madonna and Dick Tracy or whatever. Yes. Uh, but in this case, uh, like you gladly give the movie over to them because they are just, they have such Martian energy. Um, because this is one of those times. And maybe it, again, to go back to the, the, the Holly, the planet Hollywood of it all. This is when Bruce Willis was willing to play when Bruce Willis was willing to be like, Hey, I'm in this movie, but I don't need to be the center of attention. In right. fact, I want to be the straight man. I want to play off of these wacky characters and I'm going to write a part for Richard E. Grant where he gets to be wild and call me Hawkster and Hawkinator and all these things. And I just get to smirk because it's 1991 and I am Bruce Willis at my sexiest. Like, just like I am every, is he married to Demi yet? Yeah. He's married to Demi. Yeah. And he is 75% smirk in this movie. He is just like, this is. And, and so to go back to the idea of this is the most, uh, uh, Bruce Willis movie ever made. To understand it in the early 90s context, it is because he's writing it. He's co-writing it. He is a lead creative force. This is his blank check movie, as you said. And this feels like his vision. This is what he thinks. Like, let's do... By the way, this movie begins with Leonardo da Vinci. We haven't haven't started with that. The guy on the donkey is just a guy on a donkey. But... That was like watching this and I'm going like, wait, the Da Vinci Code is in this part of the movie? This is the Da Vinci Code, right? It spends like a while with Leonardo Da Vinci. Are we going to talk about Mary Magdalene and her her, (laughs) her pregnancy and all this? Like I was just so – and I don't know. I don't want to speak for you and I know that Hudson Hawk is the kind of movie that you know other podcasts that we know and love and other people on Twitter and stuff have had to sort of doggedly defend. I am very pro Hudson Hawk. This is a pro Hudson Hawk podcast, as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to speak for you, but no, I'm I'm pro Hudson Hawk as well this because is... again, you just have to appreciate that this group of people got together and got away with something on a studio sixty five million dollar budget. Um, and they made this sneaky, weird movie that was so panned at the time, but I think has rightfully found a cult audience in the years since. Um, and I don't know what it is. I don't mean to do this, but for some reason, you're always the guy that I go to with these movies where it's like these critically panned, um, fiascos that then I'm somehow like, no, we need to talk about this, whether it's. Uh, Death to Smoochie or Lost in Space or Psycho 98. Every time I come up with one of these, I'm like, no, that would be a good show for me and Rob to do. So yeah. I don't know why you're the guy that right. I'm like, how oh, the Hudson Hawk, right? What if we, maybe it's because you're so close to Jersey. 
Yeah, but that's probably what it was. Yeah, no, to be clear, to, for, those, for those listening, yeah, Patrick, this was Patrick's idea. Patrick texted me. He's like, what about Hudson Hawk? I was like, yes, okay, sure. And I, I appreciate I could catch the excitement. I could catch it. I haven't caught it in a while. I'll catch it again. And I, I was looking for good Bruce Willis news because, let's be honest, it's all shit lately. But, um, no, I, I appreciate that, that, that I'm your guy when it comes to these. I, I totally I, – I will wear that proudly, 100%. <laughs> um, well, the – it's it's a zany comedy that's almost never funny. So, yes, it is a zany comedy that is almost never funny, but it's like when your kid tells you a joke and you're like, you just are so proud. <laughs> like, my six-year-old has just got to the point where he'll start telling jokes and, and kind of like wordplay is his thing. And oh, he's like, yeah. And he'll just be like that, like, and he'll say something and he'll sort of present my, my son is very performative. He's very like, I guess it's the teacher as a parent thing or whatever. I don't know what it is in his personality, but he's very much, you know, or maybe just the movies or I don't know what it is, but he's very, he likes to put on a show and he likes to, and I know, you know, nothing, you know, <laughs> about that. <with> your kids. <laughs> knowing, knowing young Rosie Bromley the way I do, I know that she's, you know, I know, I know, you know how I feel, but he, he, will say something to me or, 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 you know, make a joke and he'll give you that look and he's looking at you like, huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and that to me is Bruce Willis in this movie where I feel like he's always looking at the camera going, wasn't that crazy? Wasn't that crazy what we just did? And even if it's like, what, what, what do you, Bruce, what, Bruno, sit, sit down. What are we talking about here? Even if it's that, I'm just so proud of him because he's trying and he, and I'm like, I'm just the the movie's energy is so infectious that you're like I don't even care if I don't understand what just happened. We're going for it. We're going for it, and I love it. Well, he's he's full on Bugs Bunny in this movie because this is, is a, a Looney Tune, and he is kind of the smart ass, more clever than everybody. Although I appreciate the fact that, as you pointed out, the movie doesn't continue to go out of its way to make him cooler than cool. Like he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's wearing his vest. He's got his pork pie hat. He's drinking his cappuccino. He knows the length to every Frank Sinatra song. Um, but he also like gets punched in the face. And, and there's, all, yeah. And there's also that point later in the movie where it's like, how do I look like, do I look okay? Right. Like, right. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. He's, he's in on the joke, you know, and, exactly. uh, and he has that real, ain't I a stinker Bugs Bunny energy in this movie? Because that was the thing I kept thinking of as I was watching. It was like, this is a full on Looney Tune. And, Daniel Waters' participation is so key, I think, because Daniel Waters in the early 90s writes four big movies. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which I think this movie has a lot in common with. 100%. Um, Hudson Hawk, mm -hmm. Batman Returns, and Demolition Man. And every one of those is incredibly subversive when it comes to the big studio blockbuster. And so I just think it's so fascinating that they hire him to write. And, you know, they didn't necessarily know he was that guy at the time. But those are all sneaky, great movies. Some of them are just, you know, great, great movies. Batman Returns is just great, great. But um, the other ones, I would argue, are kind of sneaky, great. Yeah, Vampire Academy. You know. <laughs> well, listen, that came later, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I lost so the thread of his career after a certain point. So, um. But I would argue those first four movies all subvert the big studio blockbuster in really interesting ways. 
Um, and Hudson Hawk is definitely part of that. And again, I feel like even as a kid, because I was pretty young when I went to see this, I understood that this was like, oh, this isn't like Die Hard. This is making fun of Die Hard. This is something like, this is silly. Uh, how did they get this movie made? And so for critics, I you know, part of it I think was maybe just Bruce Willis overkill the people were it's such a vanity project that people were just like fuck this guy fuck this movie um because i'm surprised that it got as panned as it did that it did as poorly as it did at the box office uh i recognize that it's a movie with probably more cult appeal than mainstream appeal but i would have thought and maybe just audiences in 1991 were not looking for something like this. Daniel Waters, a little bit ahead of his time, right? Look at Demolition Man, a movie that was not really appreciated in 1993, except by some of us. Um, but maybe he's just a guy whose whose work needs to catch up with the rest of the world, or the rest of the world needs to catch up with his work, rather, I should say. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, so we have Bruce Willis, who, who he is what the fifth or sixth choice for Die Hard? Cause he is at the time a comedy TV star, right? right? He's on moonlighting. Right. And so he is a comedy guy and much like Michael Keaton, everybody's going, wait, you're going to cast him in this, in this part. And this doesn't seem right at all. And so on and so forth. Um, and I am wondering if this is Bruce Willis making a hail Mary and saying, look, I'm not just John McClane. I'm not just this guy. I'm funny. Like, I know this is who I am. Like, this is, you know, this is who I I, I really am. And, and, you know, I haven't watched Moonlighting in, in a long time, but I, I certainly, I, I, you know, Bruce Willis has wonderful comic timing when he cares. You know what I mean? When he's right. when he's in it. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe that was this was him being like, look, I this is this is this is my heart. This is my blank check. This is this is what I want to show you. If I have the opportunity to show you who I really am, then look at my range. Look at how funny I can be. I can be the action star, but maybe I can craft something different. And then at that point, the American audience was just so he's John McClane that maybe it just rubbed everybody the wrong way. And maybe they weren't really, you know, maybe they just weren't ready for that. Well, and this comes out the same year as The Last Boy Scout, which is much closer to John McClane, but much darker, speaking of Tony Scott, uh, but much darker and meaner than John McClane. And audiences kind of rejected that. I think the movie did okay. It wasn't the bomb that Hudson Hawk was. But, I mean, Hudson Hawk for years was shorthand for, like, it was like Ishtar and Howard the Duck. It was a movie that you mentioned when you want to talk about a disaster of a movie. And it is not. It is not. Um, I miss I miss funny Bruce Willis. You know, uh, was this even the la- was this? I'm trying to think of the last time he was actually funny in a movie. I don't want to say it was Hudson Hawk, but it uh, might have been the, Hudson Hawk. Wes Anderson. I'm thinking like Moonrise. But is he funny in that? I mean, he's I like funny sad in, sad in that. Okay. Well, I think sad is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think sad sack Bruce Willis can be funny when he's in on it. Like I've watched so much dog shit DTV Bruce Willis where you can tell that he's just like, whatever dude, just uh, here's the gun. I'll shoot it. Whatever. Leave me alone. Um, Oh, he makes uh, death becomes her the next year and he's pretty hilarious in that movie. He is hilarious in that movie. I'm looking at the the box office here and I'm looking at this comes out. This opens the same week as backdraft. What about Bob Thelma and Louise? 
what a fucking weekend at the movies. God, right? we were spoiled, and now you, we get... Let me, oh, God, I'm so depressed. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't even told you the whole of it. Hold on. New at the box office, the week of May 24th to 27th, 1991. Backdraft, What About Bob, Hudson Hawk, Thelma Louise, Drop Dead Fred, and Stone Cold. Get out of here, Stone Cold. Stone Cold. God. And Mannequin 2 on the move, but you know. <laughs> Starring uh, Christy Swanson. But like, yeah. So again, maybe it was just a victim of circumstance. Backdraft, What About Bob, Thelma and Louise, those three. Right. You know what I mean? Like maybe it just got caught up in the wrong. I don't know. Because it doesn't, it doesn't multiply well. It's, it's, it goes from 3rd to 6th to ninth to 14th. And the theory that I read was that that audiences looking for John McClane right. rejected it because it was Which goofy is, it, it, because it was sold as an action movie and then people went to see it and it's this goofy comedy. Right. And they rejected it. And and maybe that's true. Maybe audiences were no longer interested in a funny Bruce Willis. And also the time I mean when you look at when you look at Daniel Waters, speaking of which, we look at Heathers, you look at Fairlane, Batman I mean Batman Returns, jeez, I mean I, I was a kid during that time. I remember my my the popular consensus being like, wait, that that's what they followed up Batman with. Right, that movie's right. so weird, dark, and <laughs> Demolition Man, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, financially was a success. Um, I think it did okay. Well, it wasn't like a big hit, but it wasn't a disaster. It, it looks like it didn't. It made enough money that it was not going to be like yeah. it wasn't a problem for nobody lost their job over it. But like Waters is definitely not the guy. Even though we love him, he's not the guy who's like I'm going to make. The, I'm going to make a you know. They're not Marvel's not coming to his door. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I wish not, they would. That would be great. <laughs> Honestly, I wish. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things I wish about Marvel right now, but whatever. Um. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I look at it and I'm just like, this must just... Because, I mean, this is a very... Like, you brought up Dick Tracy. It is the kind of movie where you have to buy into its tone. And I think there maybe there is a certain amount of nostalgia. Maybe that, you know, I wouldn't show a, you know, like a high school student, Hudson Hawk, and be like, hey, isn't this great? Like, isn't this, like, if he's used to... If he's on a steady diet of Marvel movies, you know, or DC or whatever, and be like, yeah, this is a great action movie. Because it's not a great action movie, but just no, to... it's not. Just to follow the, like... Look, funny and action and romance, and this is a you know this is a, 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 a kind of a kitchen sink movie where it's like Bruce Willis is putting on a show, and all these people are here to put on a show. Isn't that great? You know, I don't think anybody's going to have a lot of patience for that. But you know, I, maybe you do have to just remember this time in in Bruce Willisdom and in movies in general, and just be like, look, he's trying something here, and good lord, isn't that better than? What the hell is that movie I watched with Adam? Uh, Ooh, I don't even remember the name of it. I don't. I literally don't remember the, it was the a, one with was, Thomas Jane. Yes, it was a yeah. bunch of them on the ship together and all that. This is this is how fast, folks. That this is how fast these these red boxing movies and stuff go through my head. It's it called was called A Million Dollars a Day, the Bruce Willis million story. Dollars a day. It was called Breach. Breach. He plays the character Clay Young. Sure. And that's honestly, with the last five years, that would be in my top ten performances because he's actually playing a little bit of a character in that movie. But uh, anyway, you you can't blame anybody for not being in the Hudson Hawk in 2021, but I also don't want anybody to take it away from me. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you that like if you were to show so, – and that's a, a, an unfortunate comment, I think, on the – 
state of movies today that, yeah, if you were to show a high schooler who's raised on Marvel movies, Hudson Hawk, they'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> exactly. Um, which is, you know, partly a commentary on Hudson Hawk, but also partly a commentary on the sameness of movies now. Um, yes. But, it, it, you know, it goes back to this idea that, like, Hudson Hawk is a comedy it has lots of comedy in it. There's a lot of humor, but rarely does it ever make me laugh. Like I think about, you know, the guy finally gets his head cut off at the end of the movie and Bruce Willis's big kiss off line is like, guess you won't be attending that hat convention in July. It's fucking sweaty, you know, <laughs> like they, and they it's go, not funny. Some of these lines, they go so far for the joke and you're just like, yeah, exactly. It's super sweaty. You're just like, you know what? fine but you're on probation <laughs> like, <laughs> i accept that but so here's here's the thing i'll bring up is and you know uh i love last action hero uh with a with a fiery passion that will never die um i was actually thinking quite a bit about last action hero when i was watching this because i was like this is kind of an action comedy with somebody who's maybe playing with their persona a little bit um and it's a little bit subversive and it's doing this weird thing with like conspiracy theories and weird. There's that thing about like the CIA blowing up space shuttles. And there's all this weird like side business going on with some of the characters. And I was thinking of, I was thinking of last action hero, not in the meta textual sense, but in the sense of like somebody in the prime of their career, kind of playing with their, I was about to say playing with themselves a little bit. Um, and there, there is an element of Hudson Hawk that is masturbatory, 100%. But what I, what I mean is like sort of trying to show a little bit of uh, self-awareness. You know, I think Bruce Willis is very self-aware in this movie. Uh, and in fact, as I said before, you know, he he's, he's, he's standing in front of the red curtain going, I can't wait to show you this. Right. Um, so I, I was thinking favorably, you know, compare, comparing it uh, in a loving way to one of my favorite movies of all time. Last Action Hero is one of your favorite movies of all time? 100%. This is fascinating to me. I love... I think that that movie has third act problems uh, because it doesn't... It loses its balls in the third act, but I love Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero is one of the reasons that I'm talking to you all right now because that was the movie that made me think it was okay to be a kid that liked movies. Wow. All right. Um, yeah. I love Last Action Hero. I, I, I've, it's, I've never fully connected with it. And I remember being more excited. I've probably told this story on the podcast before, but like the summer of 93, I was such a Schwarzenegger fan. I was so hyped for last action hero that Jurassic park came out. And I was like, this is everything now you got. No, I was like, enjoy your time. Jurassic park. You got, two. uh, you got two weeks and then last action heroes coming and it's going to blow you away. You stupid pussy yeah. dinosaurs yeah. <laughs> you know like dinosaurs and laura dern who's gonna care about those things right schwarzenegger's coming as jack slater they got acdc on the soundtrack they got fishbone <laughs> i saw that at the music box yeah Adam, you did asper schlager and it was a great night um that that actually might be with a movie the repertory screening i've been to the most i think i've seen that three times on the big screen wow Oh, because you saw um, it at the drive-in too, right? I saw it at the drive-in. I saw it at the music box, and I'm pretty sure I saw it in another, just like an AMC rep screening at some okay. point. Um, but no, I love that movie. That was that was uh yeah that was a that was a great see that you know what's interesting to me though is because I'm also um, uh, not for nothing. Uh, I'm a little bit younger than you. You are, um, and I was very much primed 
for that at that time. You know what I mean? I'm with that. That's a 93, uh, it's a 93 movie. Yeah. So I am, I am eight years old. <laughs> uh, so I am like, yes, <laughs> like I know, you know, I saw predator too early. I love Terminator two. Like that was, you know, that was my movie. So, um, and also, just as I said before, it was that movie that made being a kid. That, that was the thing before the internet, believe it or not, before subcultures existed in a big way that everybody could know about. That was that thing where I was like, oh, it's okay to, like, being a kid who loves movies is the same as being a kid who loves football. <laughs> you know, that's a thing that you can be. So that always always comforted me quite a bit. I love that movie. And if you love movies, you get to um, go into them. I'm still waiting. The power of a I'm magical ticket. One... I can't remember yeah, where it was. I feel like William Goldman wrote a piece about Last Action Hero that like clarified my issues with it, where I was like, oh, that's why that movie doesn't totally work for me. And I don't remember what he wrote, and I don't remember where he wrote it. So this was a good story. To me, it bails on the... Um... It bails on the the, the the Charles Dance idea of we're going to bring all the heroes and villains from movie history out into the real world and see what happens. I, th- I don't think that movie – I think that movie – You need to do that if you promise that. Exactly. I think that that's why I say that movie has third act issues. I don't want to be back up on the roof with the Ripper again. I want to be doing something else. So I, so that's why I say that movie loses its balls a little bit and probably because of rewrites. And We're talking about the last action hero now. I'm sorry. We really need to be catching <laughs> the excitement. You brought up Last Action Hero, and I am who I am. Um, I, to me, my issues with that movie, I think that, that, like, you know, like the first thirty-five minutes of The Force Awakens are like Jesus, like this is the greatest, yes. like, this is just gold. And then the movie kind of stumbles a little bit, and you're kind of it never kind of gets it back. That's the way I am with Last Action Hero, where like the first hour and ten minutes, I'm like yes, and then it kind of starts to stumble in the last act. Yeah, but I still, I still love it. I still, you know, that movie's about fifteen minutes too long, and. I wish it was something different in its final movement, but boy, do I love that movie. Interesting. I need to rewatch it. It's been a number of years for me. But anyway, that's very much like Hudson Hawk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was something else I wanted to say about Hudson Hawk, and now I don't remember what it was. Uh, Cappuccinos. Yeah, right. What do you think of the the candy bar gang? The candy bar gang. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a thing in this movie. And that's like a total Daniel Waters thing, you know? You can tell, oh, like, the stuff that 100. he contributed. You're like, oh, that's definitely him, David Caruso, passing little notes. My name is Kit Kat. And, like, Coburn coming in and, like, just being game. Like, that's another thing where I love, like, he must have had such... Because all you hear now are stories about how Bruce Willis is impossible to work with. And he's just... And was, I think, on this movie. I think people had a terrible time making this movie. Which is so interesting when you consider, and maybe that does... See, it's interesting because I think about that and I go, wow, that's crazy because everybody feels dialed in in this movie. Yeah. But then I go back to what you were saying before about how everybody's kind of in their own movie. And maybe that was a necessity of the production because it's like, look, Richard, you're just going to uh, – we're just going to give you today. I just want you to riff. And like over here on set two, Coburn is over here and he's doing his thing. And nobody nobody feels like they're part of the same movie, but they all feel like they're going for it in their own movie. Right. So maybe that was a product of a, of a of a tough production, especially considering his uh, Willis's creative place in this film. But yeah, the, no, so the CIA uh, Kit Kat gang, Snickers, and <laughs> all that Butterfingers, and there's that. Uh, I, I, well, actually, I don't you know. No, I don't even want to go into it. Butterfinger has a line in the car 
that I had to rewind a couple times, and and I I don't want to say it because it's it's a little it might be actually legitimately a little bit kind of strange, but if you know what I'm talking about, I don't want to go into it. But he says something incredibly offensive and incredibly unwoke by 2021 standards, and he just says it as sort of a offhand sort of thing and 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 I'm, and I'm building to it too much i know it's annoying but you, if you've seen hudson hawk you know what i'm talking about and it's like did he say that did he just say <laughs> that is that a thing you can just say in hudson hawk and i'm like i guess it is if you're a if you're playing a character called butterfinger i guess you can say whatever but well and he's played by andrew brainyarski who's yes. a garbage like, human being right so therefore you're kind of like all right well whatever <laughs> maybe he yeah. just ad-libbed that maybe but <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So anyway, we can get off of that. But I just uh, I, I, I it, but again, the 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 Butterfinger gang, the Kit Kat gang, the candy bar gang, that's just like, yeah, yeah, this is Hudson Hawk. Yeah, for sure. 100 <laughs> percent. That's that's exactly. I'm sorry. They're going to steal the Da Vinci Codex. Yeah, 100 percent. That's what we should do. And you know what? Get him a cappuccino. And uh, yeah, no, the he Vatican, can't get a cappuccino. See, he no, keeps trying to get a cappuccino, but he can't is. get one. It's just, and then finally at the end, and there's that glorious freeze frame. He looks he, right at the camera. And he's just like, boom, you're pregnant. Like, he just looks. <laughs> Cue the Hudson Hawk theme by Bruce Willis. By Bruce Willis. And let's go and look up. As the sung by Hawk. Dr. John. Lyrics. Let's see here. <laughs> Hudson Hawk lyrics. I think it's mostly just about how big his dick is. Yes, let's take a look. Oh, lyrics not available. Oh, Bruno. <laughs> God damn it. God damn, damn it, Bruno. Let's find it here. Uh, well, I know all the uh, Swinging on a Star and all those songs. And, and see, that is such a, like, there, there's another, like, speaking of sweaty, like, that's a conceit where you're like, okay, so the reason why they're such cool, hip robbers uh, is that uh, Bruce Willis knows exactly how long a song is, and he translates that to exactly how long it's going to take him to crack a safe and escape from the crime scene. And we're just going to take this to 11 and have it be fun where he and his partner sing the song and it comes over the soundtrack. That is such a thing where you can see Bruce Willis like sitting at a table. And I don't know if you, I, I, to me, this feels like a Willis thing and not a Waters thing. It, it's, it, it feels subversive enough to be a Waters thing, but I think that at the very least, Willis heard this idea and was like, yes, we're mm. doing it. It's going to be great and everybody's going to fall in love with me when we do this. That literally might have been like where the idea for this movie started for Bruce Willis. Like, what if there was a cat burglar what? who knew the length of every song and that and and they just sing songs while they rob places like that i could see being the germ of the idea for hudson hawk and then like there's a girl and like what would be like the hardest place or the vatican yeah the Va hey did you know that the vatican has a its own little mafia and like i just see them going down the rabbit hole and being like right yeah, so the mafia guys, you know, the mafia guys. Uh, what should we call? It? Well, let's, we're going to cast Frank because I owe I owe I owe Sly a favor, so we're going to call Frank. Um, uh, Mario Brothers. The Mario, yeah, yeah, Mario Brothers. Yeah, you know, the spaghetti. You know. Whatever. And then there's all these jokes about Nintendo, and they never make the connection. Yeah, he's like, "What's what's a Nintendo?" Right. And, uh, Will you play Nintendo with me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I never. Let's just say I never saw the ET. There's all the, like he's just such a. <laughs> speaking of, you know what? And and this goes back to a uh, uh, conversation about Stone Cold, which uh, if you if you read Reserve Seating, you know that I am now obsessed with. Um, I love this is a this is a man of the moment movie where where Willis comes in and he's like, 
you know, Big Lebowski, like, he's the man. He's the man for his time. He's like, who is the man for 1991? Hudson Hawk is the man. Mm-hmm. And he's he's refined, but he's not, you know, he's not, uh, 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 you know, too feminine about it. He likes his cappuccino, but whoa, he doesn't like that his bar is being taken over by, uh, um, by uh, uh, yuppies. And, uh, you know, he loves the ladies, but, he, you know, he's also got a soul. He wants to talk about his feelings with them. He's got a best friend. And, you know, they have a great old-fashioned kind of Frank and Dino kind of mm-hmm. relationship. And, like, he's just like, I am the man. And who is the man? It is me. And I just, I love that. And it's it could be so obnoxious. And I understand if you think Hudson Hawk is <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is obnoxious. It is. But, but, you, but if you buy into it, Boy, is it just the best. It's just because you're just because you're not watching it. It's not like aspirational Like you're not like watching it going like, boy, I wish I was Hudson Hawk. You're watching it going, look how ridiculous Hudson Hawk is. He's just living his truth. And I feel for you. It is completely ridiculous and it knows how ridiculous it is. You know, Michael Lehman is an interesting filmmaker to to be put in charge of it. Um, I think it's a little too big for him. You know, I, to yeah, go from yeah. Heather's to this, I think he doesn't totally know what to do and the action yeah. doesn't really work, um, which is fine because it's barely an action movie. There's a lot of action in it, but I don't know that I would like characterize it as an action movie, action comedy, I guess. Aside from the couple explosions and that, that uh, ambulance scene, there's really not a whole lot. That ambulance scene is pretty fun. It's more slapsticky. Like there's more yeah. like slapsticky bits. Again, there's fucking like boing sound effects. <laughs> the, the thing is, he's punching him and he's head doing doing thing. And again, you just have to go back to Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard. Yes. They are the key to appreciating this movie. They are the hammiest of sandwiches. <laughs> it's unbelievable. How about the part where Andy McDowell starts talking to the Jesus statue? She starts talking to the crucifix and then it talks back. <laughs> That's the part that maybe I, I had to pause the movie and just laugh for a few minutes and rewind it because I loved that, like, because that's that part I was talking about before about her character switch where you start to realize who her character actually is. And then she starts talking to this crucifix and then it lights up and talks back. And I just was like, I'm in. I'm in. I yeah. love this. This this is this is cinema. I think, you know, you can order this Blu-ray for like eight bucks from, yes, I think, can. Mill Creek. Um so my suggestion, if you've never seen Hudson Hawk, and if us talking about it makes you think you want to see Hudson Hawk, which hopefully it has, hopefully, um, you should go to YouTube and pull up the Bruce Willis Respect Yourself video from his album, The Return of Bruno. Watch that, and then watch Hudson Hawk, because it, that video is going to give you like exactly the proper context for who Bruce Willis was at the time that Hudson Hawk came out and sort of his mythology, his, you know, self, self made mythology, self made mythology. Exactly. Um, I think that'll help you appreciate exactly where Hudson Hawk lays contextually and, uh, and will hopefully make you enjoy the movie more. I don't know. You know, again, you can't really watch this movie without being a fan of, who Bruce Willis was at this time. Is this, what is the best Bruce Willis performance? Is it McLean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
what is it, so are we just going to stick with nathan raven's thing which is just this is the most bruce willis movie ever and just sort of agree with that in the context of what you're talking about yeah i think so because this needs special consideration in some way and i'm trying to think of how to attribute it but no i think let's stick with that because because and, and especially and again speaking to what you were saying before especially when you consider just how goddamn lazy he is now and and how much he just doesn't care um the fact that there was a time where there was he was releasing the return of bruno and making hudson hawk really does give you god and and the return of bruno was before die hard yeah yeah that was that was born out of like moonlighting fame can't even believe that that yeah. is amazing anyway um this movie rules this <laughs> this movie is a lot of fun uh thank you for talking about it with me it was very oh. enjoyable I, I, I can't wait i can't wait for our next uh uh, uh box office bomb <laughs> right i know it's like in the comments under this podcast people should recommend like what unfairly maligned uh, yeah. box office bomb should we cover next yes 100 percent. please do so uh, um please remember you can go read us every day at fthismovie.com follow us on twitter we're at fthismovie we're on facebook instagram and you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com next week's show uh, we return with another craven craven this time on invitation to hell a west craven movie i have never seen Ooh. Yeah, pretty. it was a TV movie that I never saw. So I'm excited for that. But uh, thanks again, Rob. This was super fun. Thank you, buddy. I can't wait to talk about more of the excitement, more of the adventure, more of the hawk. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.